Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's Erin here and I've got a guest with me. Um, Today we're going to be talking about habits. I've been thinking a lot about habits and um, it was kind of tipped off by one of my clients. She, a few months ago, came to me and was having a lot of health problems, has an autoimmune disorder, a bunch of things going on, fatigue, skin stuff. And through working together, we kind of unlocked one of the secrets to her success, dietarily anyway. And I mean, she was killing it. I mean, she was sending me screenshots of herself, like running races. She was feeling so good, so much energy. And then the holidays set in, and she felt a little bit like they derailed all of her progress. So in a recent appointment, she expressed concern, like, how do I how do I do this for the rest of my life? Like, do I have to live like this forever? Because it feels really hard right now. And I was like, listen, you're just in the building habit phase right now. That's it, right? And I think we all have to collectively acknowledge that building new habits can be really hard. It can feel really hard in the beginning. And if it was easy, we would all be able to do it. So I think the first place, I say this all the time, but I think the first place to start is to really be more patient with ourselves. Unfortunately, none of us are hardwired that way. Our modern world is very much so an instant gratification world. So we think that like we do the work and then tomorrow we get the results. And that unfortunately is just not the way that it works. But really, if we're looking to change, if we're looking to affect change, whether it's in our bodies or our moods or our lives, our finances, our household clutter, whatever, whatever we're trying to change, we have to be able to change our habits. That's where it starts. I know I've mentioned Gretchen Rubin on the show like a million times. She's a researcher. She's an author. She studies happiness and human nature. And she says that habits make up roughly 40% of our day. So that's like almost half of our day is is habits. So it kind of stands to reason if we're able to change our habits, then we can really change the scope of our lives. But taking it even a step further, or I guess a step prior, if we want to change our habits, we have to first be aware of what our habits actually are. What are we doing with 40% of our day? And it's that awareness piece that I think is a little bit tricky for so many of us because our society gives us so many ways to check out. We're, we're not spending a lot of time being mindful and aware. We're, we're checking out all the time. And our society encourages us to do it. So whether it's booze, online shopping, retail therapy, social media, Netflix binges, whatever, It's almost impossible to feel like we can just sit still in today's world. 
So when I was thinking about this topic and what we would talk about and how I wanted to cue it up, I, I started asking myself, especially if I'm doing this work with clients over and over again, what is it about me? Like, what? how do I change my habits? How, how do I become more aware of what I'm doing and, and how to change them? And I think it all really comes back to starting an alignment-based yoga practice. Now, I, I once had a teacher, a yoga teacher, tell me that alignment doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as you feel good, alignment doesn't matter. And I, I think it's worth noting here that that teacher was a man. Not a bad thing. It's just that women and, and men go through lives with uh, very different experiences. <laughs> and I've always resented when a man tells me what experience I should or should not be having with my body. Because to me, alignment is so important. Um, somebody like myself who's lived in fear of my body my body hasn't always felt like a safe place with an eating disorder i spent over a decade of my life trying to check out of my body so for me focusing on alignment was a very safe and gentle way for me to learn how to check back in with myself i know yoga teachers love to say things like go inside and connect inward. And, you know, I've even said that myself when teaching yoga. But when I first started practicing yoga, I was in the throes of an eating disorder and I, I literally couldn't do that. I could not go inside. So what I had to do was focus on the alignment piece. I, I had to focus on where my body was in space. I had to focus on like my left big toe. And so I think alignment is is super important. It's safety, it's structure, it's all that root chakras type stuff. And the reason that I bring this up, what I'm really talking about with, with alignment is creating awareness and creating mindfulness. And if so much of what we do is habitual, if 40% of our lives is just on autopilot, if we want to change that, we have to change what we do with the majority of our time. We have to change our habits. We have to become aware of those habits. And I've seen time and time again with people as a former yoga teacher myself that awareness can truly start on the yoga mat. It's it's a way to safely tiptoe your way in. You might start with becoming more aware of your body. I, I think it's just like an entry point to becoming more aware with what's going on with your life at large. Right. So anyway, I, I wanted to have this conversation about building habits. I wanted to do it on the podcast because it comes up so frequently in my work. It comes up so frequently with my clients. And I couldn't really think of a better person to have this conversation with than Sarah Curry because she is the first teacher, the first yoga teacher that I practiced this alignment-based yoga with so many years ago. Um, Sarah's the co-owner of Blaze Yoga and Pilates in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And she's spent the past 15 plus years helping people build better habits and build healthier habits, whether it's through her yoga studio or through the Sober Yogis program or through the Commit to 90 program that we've been collaborating on for years. Um, I did interview Sarah on, a, on another episode, episode 19, where we talk about how to feel better. So you can go back, learn a little bit more about Sarah, her bio. But um, Sarah, thanks for being on the show. Welcome back. I'd love to hear your take on all of this. What do you think? Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. And I love talking about this topic. I mean, you know, when people start practicing yoga, one of the first things that they do is they come approach us after class and say, like, what should I be doing? How should I be living? What should I be eating? And one of the things that we like habitually say to people is just keep showing up and everything's going to fall into place. Because 
really the beauty of of the practice of yoga is it's all about paying attention to yourself and you know Aaron you talk about this a lot on the podcast about like how much information and wisdom your body has but we really have been taught um not to trust it and not to listen to that part of our bodies because of the way that we live in and the culture we live in today and so so much of what you're doing throughout the day is ignoring how you feel or you know ignoring the fact that you're hungry because you've got to get to this meeting on time and so we have this amazing opportunity in yoga to slow down to control our breathing and to pay attention and when you start paying attention to yourself in class it slowly and eventually ripples out into the rest of your life so if you're somebody who's like you know binge eating goldfish crackers at night until your stomach hurts there comes a point in that process where you start to be like hey my stomach's starting to be uncomfortable so maybe you eat 100 goldfish instead of 200. you know it's a, it's a very simple and natural process um, in terms of of connecting yoga and awareness to the the process of building healthy habits all right so why don't we just d- dive right in with a question that you and i get a lot where do i start right i think a lot of people um i kind of think about it like you have your backpack on you're sitting in the car and you're staring at the mountain that you're about to hike and you're staring at the very tippity top looking at the peak and then you tell yourself you know what it's too much it's too high it's too big i'm too tired so you give up and you drive away but it's like what you really need to do is just get out of the car you have to stop worrying about the summit because you haven't even walked yourself to the base yet so where where do people start and when you're setting a goal or you're trying to change something or trying to build a habit, how big is too big? How What happens if we get too lofty with our goals? Well, I think that's the issue is that we have this it's super common, um, the phenomenon is called flight into health, where you realize that you're uncomfortable, you realize that you don't like how things are going and you want to change everything right now so that you can feel better and change. I just read an article by a physical therapist who was doing a lot of work with her clients about like their feet and trying to get people to spend time barefoot. And so summertime came around and she was like, practice what you preach. And she tried to hike like, um, you know, a dozen 4,000 footers in minimalist shoes. And like by the second hike, she had like destroyed her feet and didn't hike for the rest of the summer because she went from nothing to everything. You know, and so then she talked about the process of how she had to cancel hiking the entire summer. She could only swim. She had to go back to like rebuilding and then took the time over the whole next winter to build up the strength and the flexibility and mobility in her feet so that the following summer she could she hiked the entire summer with minimalist shoes or barefoot the entire summer with no problem and no pain. It's so easy for us to make a ridiculous jump into something we can't possibly do. And and this is a case of somebody hurting themselves. But what most of us do when we're trying to create change in our lives is we try to do everything and then we fail. And that just reinforces for us that we're losers that can never follow through on anything because we have no willpower. So clearly, the one of the biggest and most important things if you're trying to create change in your life is to take really small steps. Um, I remember uh, listening to the inventor of CrossFit talking about how he coached a guy from the couch to the gym who be, ended up be, being come really into like Olympic weightlifting. Um, and his rule was that the guy was allowed to get dressed, go to the gym and spend five minutes inside twice a week until he had done that for three months consistently and he showed up for every single five minute time and then he started to want to stay was he allowed to stay for 15 minutes 
and then he was allowed to stay for 30 and then he was allowed to come three days. And so what he basically did was give himself these tiny small successes and also give himself a taste of like, you know, I just barely got moving. I really want to get back and do this more. That's, I mean, that's in terms of sustainable longevity of habits and lifestyle. That's where you start is with little things that you can achieve because habits and goal setting and goal achieving, it's actually a developed um, a developed sense of who you are. Like at this point in my life, I have set and achieved a ton of goals. I think of myself as a person who can accomplish things. So when I do something, I want to do something, I set a goal, I go and I get it. If I were at the beginning of my career, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in the same position because I didn't have that inner strength of knowing that I had the ability to stick with stuff. You know what I'm saying? Totally. I totally agree. And I'm thinking too of um, you know, I mentioned Commit to 90, our program that's an, a 90 day program. And we've been through, we've been doing, how many years have we been doing that, Sarah? How many years has since you the inception? And I have been collaborating for four, the last four sessions. You've been doing the program though. Oh, for the, pro, oh the program seven. started in 2012. So this will be the seventh year. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. All right. So we've, like you said, we've been through different iterations, different sessions of it, and we've kind of tweaked it along the way. But one thing that I think we were both really surprised on the first time we collaborated. So the program you're going, participants are going to yoga four times a week, going Mm -hmm. to yoga or going to Pilates four times a week. And then we also work in the nutrition component where, you know, you're eating changing your your habits what we did the first time was we rolled out my full 21 day fueled and fit program it's so it's like you're doing a lot in 21 days and people got really overwhelmed and you and i were like well this program's great it's all the information you need it can affect change it's awesome people got so overwhelmed because they were already trying to carve out the time just to make it to yoga make it to pilates they were carving out the time for this program and then we like lumped that on top of everything else and it was such an eye-opening experience for me at least about how people truly need to slowly integrate change and so we've changed it since then where it's more of a week like a weekly topic one week all you need to do is focus on this hydration the next week we want you to focus on this sleep Another week, you're focusing on looking at healthy fats. It's really, really incremental, but I think what we've noticed is that people seem to be able to integrate that so much more effectively with such more longevity, don't you think? A hundred percent, and it really took that first iteration where people said, I dug into the Fueled and Fit for the first week and then I didn't look at it again until they came back a year later and participated for the second time that I looked back at it and was like, oh, I get it like 50% of the stuff you're talking here is already stuff I've integrated in my life. So I already have some success around that. It's not all brand new information. So the way that we have changed the program over the years has been really amazing. And the other piece about it is the, the current iteration of our Commit to 90 program is in sync with what the research says. And that's what all research on goal setting and habits and all that type of stuff is that it's small changes in a group surrounded by people who are like on the same path as you. So people who are already doing the behavior that you wish you had um, and that you aren't trying to make that big rip off the Band-Aid. And it can feel sometimes like ripping off the Band-Aid is going to be the way to go. But literally all the scientific research on it shows that it actually is not sustainable for people. All right. So that kind of brings me to my next thing. When you're talking about a group setting, um, 
a lot of people want that support and they want that help and they want that handholding, but not everybody, you know? And I think the next, when we're talking about building better habits, we have to really get honest and clear with ourselves about what makes what makes me do the things that I want to do? A big word that comes up for a lot of people is accountability, right? And I think that's what, where where this program excels is those that need to be held accountable to a goal are going to be held accountable, but not everybody's like that. So I had mentioned Gretchen Rubin and she um, – she, I don't know if it's the book, Four Tendencies. I think it is a book now, Four Tendencies. But basically, there's four different ways that people can respond to expectations and four different ways that people can build habits. And the four different categories she lumps everybody into is questioner, rebel, obliger, and upholder. I happen to be a questioner. So I did this and it totally like blew the lid off of what I thought I knew about myself. And I started implementing it into some of my programs so people could learn more about themselves. So I learned that um, I will do something if it makes sense for me. So I have to research something extensively. And if the research backs up what I want to do, I will do it. If it doesn't, I don't care. I'm not doing it. Accountability, being held accountable to somebody doesn't mean anything to me. Um, I think about like paying bills is like a very arbitrary thing for me. Like I don't pay bills at a certain time. I'm like, I have the money. You're going to get paid. It's just, it doesn't make sense for me to pay it at a certain time. It's like super crazy, right? But um, but Sarah, you're, what, you're an upholder, right? Totally. And when I took the quiz in camp as an upholder, I was like, no, I'm not. I'm a questioner. Um, because similar to you, Erin, I love research and I love science. And like if, if, it's science supports something that I can get behind, I'll, I'll get behind it. But as I started to read a little deeper and listen to Gretchen talk about it, I was like, oh, this is me to 100%. Now, as an upholder, it's like, I think this is the right thing to do, so I will do it. And, you know, it took me a while as a, as a teacher at the studio, you know, people would come to me and say, like, well, how do I get started? Or how do I get in the habit of coming to yoga? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, just come. <laughs> you said you wanted to come. Come, you're going to do it. Um, and as an upholder, like, it gets tighter. So if it was like, I need to practice four days a week, it's actually five. And then it's six. And if I could get in seven days, well, that's a really good week. You know what I mean? So knowing that about myself, I actually have to force myself to, to not succumb to that tightening. Um, and a, a great example of that is when we were running Fueled and Fit at the studio. And Aaron presents three different levels, sort of where you're at. And the third level is 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 pretty much an elimination diet would you say that absolutely okay so i opened it up i was like there's three levels obviously i'll do level three so i started doing level three and i was super stressed out now i didn't have any issues with gut or skin or anything going on like that and it was two weeks in that i was like sarah what are you doing why are you why are you take doing level three just go do level two you don't have to do everything to the hundredth degree just because that's in your nature and so when it comes to like approaching this type of stuff, it really does help to have that insight. You know, we've had in the Commit to 90 program over the years, we've had people do it, that this is their habit. They get into Commit to 90, they're whole hog. They do every single thing. They show up for everything. They learn the material. They meet the goals. They do their yoga. And then as soon as it's over, we don't see them again until the next year when the program starts again. And so that would be a classic obliger. 
And so now, like as we do the program over and over with, with our obligers, we make sure to connect with them and talk to them about that tendency and say, okay, who's your commitment to now that it's over? Because to tell an obliger, like your commitment needs to be to yourself and self-care and self-worth, that doesn't work. It doesn't matter <laughs> right. what you say to them. That's, it's not the way that their body operates. So, so pairing somebody up that's an obliger with someone who is um, going to meet them there for class is the perfect relationship to help them keep that habit beyond the course of the challenge. And I think it's so awesome. So if you can go, it's 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 a free quiz online. Go and take that if you're listening and figure out where you fall in. And then she does a little podcast so you can listen and learn about your tendency. And you can really build in your own support into your life. As a questioner, what I need is information. I need all the information. Um, and so it just helps it helps it helps you so much build build habits when you really understand how you how you work and then from from our perspective understanding how everybody responds to expectations differently we can then go and build out this program where we give people what they need you know we're we're going to we're going to have the information for the questioners we're going to have the the accountability for the the obligers you know we're we're going to put all of that that support into place as well Right, and even um, for your rebels, like the rebel can can participate in the way they want to participate. The information is there, and you can take it, and you can retreat to your cave, and you know what I mean, and come back to the group when you want to. And interestingly, several of our folks who were rebels were like, "I didn't want to participate in the online group thing. I ended up liking it, like you know, kind of hanging around and creeping on it, and then being into it and making connections with people when I was dead set that like I wasn't participating in that part, because that's the way the program is. It gives you the support that you need, but also the freedom to utilize the, the supports in the way that you want to use them. All right. So in talking about support, I think that is a huge, huge piece. If you're looking to affect change in your life, if you're looking to build a habit, how can you get the support that you need in your life? Um, whether that's with family members, friends, coworkers, can you can you speak to that a little bit, Sarah? A hundred percent. And you know the thing about this is this this can be in certain situations some really really deep stuff. You know, it may force you to look at stuff in your life that you would love to just keep the blinders on about. But if you are looking to create a habit, being around people who already do that, so surrounding yourself with people for whom your desired behavior is already their norm, is just simply going to push you into that direction. If you want to be a vegetarian and you love fried chicken and you are around a table with people every night who frequently make fried chicken, it's going to be really hard for you to meet that goal. If you find some friends that are like teaching you new recipes and showing you how to make whole and balanced meals, it's much more likely that you're going to become a vegetarian than in the, the other circumstance. Um, and we've had some really intense things come up for people. Like we had a woman who um, struggled with binge eating on candy and she was in a workplace where she had to walk out of her office door past her boss's desk where there was a huge bowl of candy. And she had you know, stood up for herself and said to her boss, could you, I'm doing this program, I'm really trying to make healthy choices and change my life. It's really, a, it's a temptation for me that I, I, am, I fight a losing battle with every day. Could you, just for this 90 days, put the bowl away? And her boss said, no, I can't. You know, you're gonna come up against people that are like deliberately and intentionally trying to make this harder. And that may be your friends and family. You know, a lot of the people in the program, we had one woman do the program four years in a row 
and her biggest struggle was her kids. Like when she was going to, to yoga four days a week, they were saying like, you're never home and you never make stuff for me, dinner for me, and you aren't cleaning in my clothes and I need my this and that and this and that. And these were teenage kids. And you know, for me, I wanna like go and I've got to put my boxing gloves and I'll spar out with her kids. But it took a while of developing a relationship in the fourth year when she said, well, I'm gonna to have to quit again. She was two weeks from the end. And I said, what's going on? And she said, you know, the kids, they're really upset. They say that I'm not spending enough time and taking enough care of them. And I said, do you think that you could ask them to help you? Could you tell them that this is something that means a lot to you about your sense of yourself? And could you ask them to help you eight more times? So two more weeks, eight more nights, help you make dinner, get the laundry started, and maybe even ask them to come to class. And her friggin' kids came to class with her and she finished for the first time. You know, it took her four tries to get up the sense of courage to say to her family, I need your help. And if the relationship you've had with your family is that you fix everybody's problems and everybody craps on you, having that conversation is not going to be easy. But, but truly, if you're going to make change in your life, it's not going to happen till, those, till you make those changes, you know? Yeah. And I don't think asking for help or asking for what you need comes easily for many of us. I think that's really tricky. So I just want to point that out that I know it feels hard. It feels hard for everybody. But at at a certain point, you just have to get to the the place where you have to acknowledge that you do need the support and and speak up for what you need. I also want to say this, Sarah, something you said kind of reminded me of of this, that the the time piece, that's everybody's reason why they can't do the things they want to do because we don't have enough time. I mean, we, our schedules could not be any more jam-packed than they are right now. Everybody feels that way. Everybody feels that way. Um, None of us are more busy than the other. Like we're just all maxed out. So the deal with the time and not having time to do the things you want to do, like nobody is going to give you that time. There's never going to be a point where the, you know, the, the, the C's part and like all of a sudden there's just like this time. Nobody's going to walk up to you with a silver platter and say, here's your extra four hours of the day. It literally will never happen. Um, You're waiting for something to slow down. You're waiting for it to get easier, right? It's not going to happen. We're always going to fill up that extra time with something else. And so what you have to do, if there's something that you want to do, you have to make the time. So you have to carve out the time in your day and then you have to take that time. So you have to carve out the time, you have to take the time. And often what I've found in my life and in many other of my clients' lives, often what you have to do is start saying no to things or start letting things go or taking like making a list of all the things you have to do in a given day looking at what do you actually want to do versus what you don't want to do and start taking some of the things off that you don't want to do whether you're delegating whether you're asking for help whatever it is if there's something that you want to do in your life you might have to let something else go in order to make make the time and the space for that and I'm making it sound wicked easy and wicked simple, and it's not, and I acknowledge that it's not, but it has to be done. It's so true, and I'll tell you, I like a, I heard a phrase a couple of years ago that has really changed the way I think about that type of stuff, and um, I was saying something about how I didn't have time for something, and um, someone said to me, it's not a priority for you to make time for that. And I was like, oh, that's actually, that's what it is, because you'll make time for the stuff that is a priority for you. Like, so, you know, I was like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I can't do this, I can't do that. But then I could, um, you know, 
go to a class and meet up with my fellow yoga teacher so that we could could collaborate afterward and talk about plans for something we wanted to do. I, did I have time to drive 45 minutes to another city to take a yoga class? I totally didn't, but I wanted to do it. It was important to me. It was going to help me with my professional development. So I made the time to do it. And I really, it has actually helped me like feel better about myself to say, you know, when somebody like you're always talking about on the podcast, Aaron says, do you have time for coffee so I can pick your brain? In my mind, I say, that's not, that's not time I'm willing to give away. You know, that's not a priority for me. No, I don't have time for that because that's not important. I do have time to go to my son's um, Veterans Day performance at his school in the middle of the day, but I'm not making time to have coffee and tell someone else how to run their business. Yeah, that's something that I've been, I've tried to make a shift when I catch myself saying I don't have time for that. I, I'm, uh, what I'll instead say, and I'll actually say it out loud to somebody's face now, but I am not making the time for that. I don't want to make the time for that because it's not exactly. that I don't have the time. If I, you know, I could carve out time for something I want to do exactly to your point. And that the other thing about that, the the priorities, um, I think a lot of us have these priority lists that are a mile long. Like you can't have 72 things on your priority list. It's That's not the definition of priority that you, you know, by definition, there can only be a couple of things at the top of that list. Everything else has to fall by the wayside. So I think it can be really helpful to get super clear. Like what are your priorities? What is the life that you want to be living? What, how do you feel in that life? And what's good, what's it going to take to get you there? And are your priorities in alignment with that? Exactly. All right. So when we're embarking on something new, usually we're pretty stoked. We're excited. We've got butterflies in our stomach. We're like, yes, I can do this. I can take this on, right? What I tend to tell people is like you have to plan for your setbacks. And it's kind of like wah, wah, Debbie Downer to think that something's going to happen to derail your success, but something's going to happen to derail your success. Life happens. It always does. We can't stop it from happening. So one thing I encourage people to do is to take a long and hard look at what are the things that are going to come up. Historically, in the past, what are things that have um, kept you from accomplishing a goal? Let's drum some of that stuff up now and figure out plans of attack to deal with it. Sarah, kind of exactly I mean, we do this a lot in the Commit to 90 program before we even begin. We're like, make a list of all the things that could go wrong, right? And like you're saying, you know, oftentimes with our folks, it's family, it's obligations, it's taking care of other people. So do you have any, I'm trying to think of some specific examples that you could we could give, but do you have any um, words of wisdom in terms of like planning for setbacks? Well, you know, it's so funny because when we kicked off the Sober Yogis program, that was one of the things we always did is we we made, had people make a list of their obstacles and we put them on a on a sheet of paper. So we had like everybody's goals um, and then everybody's obstacles. And it was so one of those things that people would react to it like negatively, like I don't want to say it but as soon as you start talking about your op because listen let's be frank why aren't you living the exact life you want to live right now there's a lot of things in the way of that and those things actually have to change for you to find the peace that you're looking for in your life obviously you're not going to be happy living on a cloud every second of every day but you certainly can be a lot more comfortable than you are in your existence right now and taking time to give voice to what those obstacles are even if it makes you cry a little bit that like your husband is your major obstacle, that like your mom always puts you down. You know, those are the things that are actually going to be facilitators for change. And, and 
as much as it seems like writing in my diary, but writing in a journal about the way you feel about those things, it separates you from the experience of it. You are not your fear. You are not the obstacle. Writing that stuff down allows your brain to literally in a neurological way, see yourself and your thoughts as two separate things. And it helps you to stop internalizing whatever it is. You know, a lot of the stuff that people would write up in terms of obstacles was like, I always quit. I always fail at everything. I don't have any willpower, you know? And there were things like kids, time, all that other type of stuff, but there's so much stuff that holds us back that has to do with our sense of self-worth. Um, and when it comes to family and obligations and time, your self-worth is uniquely and intensely tied to that because if you feel strongly enough that your place in this world is valuable and important, then it wouldn't be an issue for you to say, you know, no, I can't coach six kids teams and drive people around till nine o'clock at night because I get to go to yoga after work or whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? So there really are, I mean, you could look up a million self-help books, but truly in terms of making changes, it really does help to write down what do you want and what is going to get in your way. Yeah, for sure. And I'm all about journaling and it exactly like you says, it just gives you some space between what's happening and, and what's... Um, what's happening inside your mind and like what's really happening. Um, what there's, I'm just thinking of this now. You gave me an exercise about fear, like to, to evaluate your fear. Do you remember that? Um, oh, I'm trying yes, to think yes. of that. Yes, would be some, I, that would be helpful to share, I think. That's a great exercise. And I got that from Josh Bureau of Nomad Business Coaching and it's called fear setting. So instead of goal setting, it's fear setting. And of course, my reaction to that was like, why are we talking about the fears? But it's all about, um, saying whatever your goal is. So if you, what are the things that are going to get in the way? What could go wrong? Um, what could happen if you didn't achieve your goal? And then in the second column next to that, you write down, what can you do right now to ensure that that doesn't happen? So I'll give a personal example. Um, I just rebranded my business this fall and I did my fear setting exercise. And one of my biggest fears was that people wouldn't know who we were. You know, I've been in the community a very long time and um, I was afraid of losing that sense of goodwill and, and people not knowing who we were. And so taking the time to say, okay, so then what can I do now? I need to do a really good job of making sure that people in my community are aware that this is coming and happening and building excitement so that that doesn't happen. Now, could it have happened that I lost a lot of clients that don't know where we are anymore? It's totally possible, but at least I know in my heart that I did everything I possibly could and had a plan for that thing that I was afraid of. Whereas what had happened to me for years was I was afraid that was going to happen. So I never rebranded. You know what I mean? So I held myself back for four years. And when I finally looked at the fear, I was able to actually do something about it. Oh, that's so cool. And like creating that little that that list of like, okay, if that actually does come true, what can I what can I do about it? It takes away it takes away a lot of the fear because you're like, oh, well, I have a plan of attack for that. I love I love that. Um, one one thing I was I, I kind of think about is when you when you start something new, like I was talking about earlier, and it's exciting, and you're like ready to go for it, and you go for it. What happens when the novelty of that new thing starts to wear off? Like, what do you do then? How do you motivate yourself when you're like, eh, it's not exciting anymore? Because that totally. happens. It does. And I'll tell you what, usually those types of changes and goals and stuff like that, like maybe you get super excited about some kind of way you're going to eat 
and it's just so amazing and you feel so the results and you're telling everybody about it and the more you talk about it and the more you profess about how incredible it is the less likely you are to keep doing it right that's like you know that's like you know eating chocolate chip meringues they're fluffy and light and lovely and they have no substance and then 30 minutes later you're having a sugar crash you know so and I actually want to like back way up and I cannot think of what the guy's name is, but he like was arrested for, um, he was trying to sell like coral calcium forever. He was like a telemarketer guy who was on the home shopping network. And then he wrote this book and this was in the early 2000s that was like 300 things you can do that the medical community doesn't want you to know about to take control of your health. But he made a ton of money and people bought this book. And I watched him on, on Home Shopping Network because I was like, what is this dude doing? He's selling a book that basically says nothing. Um, and each page was like another thing that you could do for your health. And literally the first page was like, drink 80 ounces of water a day. And then the next page was like, eat one apple a day. And he was into like rebounders and all this cuckoo nut stuff. Remember when rebounders were a thing and people were like jumping on those mini trampolines? That was like the big health thing that was going to prevent wrinkles or something. I have a rebounder uh, right behind me in my office. <laughs> you also have a four-year-old though, so. Um... It's mine. It's mine. <laughs> okay, so Moving save the on. world with your rebounder. Um, but what, what he was doing that people... Um, really got behind and the why people were coming with these amazing results was he was saying do one thing until you do that all the time so like your thing is going to be water okay I've got to drink I don't drink water all I drink is diet coke so you're going to get yourself you know to drink two full Nalgene's full of water every single day and when that just becomes your habit when you wake up in the morning and fill your water bottles for the day then you can add the next habit and then you add the apple you know, or whatever it's going to be. Then, then you add, you know, eating greens at one meal a day. You don't add eating greens at three meals a day because it's not your habit. And you can do that for like a week before you get so sick of eating them, you know? So it's like, the, I mean, that's the real, the real piece about sustainability and maintaining feeling good is it's, it's not about some big change that's going to feel amazing and be super exciting. It's about making these small changes that slowly make you feel better. My um, daughter brought some whacked out snack that I had made um, to school the other day and she was asking her friends to um, try it and they were like what is it oh it's vegetables um, and one of the kids said are your parents on a health kick and another girl that's been with her since she was in kindergarten was like her parents are always on a health kick and so like compared to her friends the way that we this is just the way we live we're not on a weird health kick we do eat a lot of vegetables but that's the norm and that feels really weird to other people but for somebody to start eating what bella was eating for snack they were like, ooh, it's gross. It's got cauliflower in it. Whereas for her, she was like, this is yummy. You know what I mean? So all I'm trying to say is like the big wow and the honeymoon period and stuff, that generally comes from stuff that's not sustainable. And that's unfortunate to hear because you want to go January 1, gung-ho, I'm going to do it. It's going to change my life. I'm going to change the way I eat for 30 days and it's going to heal 30 years worth of eating like garbage and pounding a bottle of wine a night. <laughs> doesn't quite work that way but it's it's back to that 40 percent that 40 percent of autopilot right we don't think about brushing our teeth we just get up and we do it because it's a habit and it's like when we when we take this layered approach just build this one simple habit just build this second simple habit just build this third simple habit it becomes part of that 40 percent of just unconscious autopilot behavior and 
it doesn't, you're totally right. It doesn't have the razzmatazz that a 30 day program does or a 21 day program does, but it's going to get you the changes. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to work. And it's going to feel, even though it's a lot less exciting, it's going to, it's going to feel a lot more manageable. And the other thing about it to remember too, is it's also going to help you avoid the trap of I'm good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm worthy, I'm unworthy. You know, Aaron and I were joking um, when the new year came around, like if you're not going paleo for the new year, then like it's just because you have no self-discipline and you know, you're you're not dedicated enough to your health or that there's that feeling of that. And when you when you try to embark upon something that's too big and you set yourself up to fail, it just simply feeds into all your sense, your sense, your self doubt, your sense of worth. And you don't, let's be perfectly honest about this. You don't need any more of that BS in your life. There are enough people who have expectations of you that you won't be able to meet and that are unrealistic for you to meet. The last person you need on your team that's setting you, you to fail like that is yourself. You know, so any of that stuff, like just chop it down at the root and throw it in the trash. And I think like, let's be honest, we've been beating that horse for most of our life. And the fact of the matter is, if you want to change something, you actually have to do something different. Uh, Shout out to my main dude, Joseph Campbell, who says, you've been thinking one way, now you have to think a different way. That's how the change happens. That's the hero's journey. It's it's completely changing how you you look at something. And I think that we we think we do that with a new diet or a new uh, fitness routine or whatever, but it's really the same stuff over and over again. The current food and diet model, we think that we're doing something different. We're really not because the traditional diet model doesn't provide us the format to relearn habits. When we're dieting, we're just sticking with our old habits. Even, you know, this is true for anything we do, whether we're doing keto or we're doing paleo, whole 30, vegan, medical medium, celery juice, whatever. We're like, oh, it's something new and shiny. Therefore, I'm changing my habits. No, you're just sticking with the same old diet habits that you've already have already done. And then to Sarah's point, you get upset. We get upset with ourselves when they don't work. We we blame ourselves. It's because of me. I don't have enough willpower. And then we throw in the towel. We totally bail. And then we feel like crap about ourselves for bailing. We feel like failures. And then eventually we jump on the, the bandwagon and we just do this same old hamster wheel dance over and over again, thinking that we're changing. We're really not changing. We're just doing the same old thing. Um, and we, the, the crazy part is that we know it doesn't, it didn't work last time, but we still hang on to this hope that it's going to work this time. We're, we're, we're just, it's like that definition of insanity that I don't even really know. Is that true? That like trying to do the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Totally. And if I could, did just, Einstein even say that? I don't know. I think you said it right. But if I could just throw in uh, some props for the practice of yoga this is where yoga is the Trojan horse to all of the stuff underlying this. You know, showing up on your mat, most people, when, I, when we do a little poll at the beginning, when people sign up, it says like, what are you here for? It's increased flexibility, increased strength for a workout. That's what people say. They don't say like, I'm coming here to become a better person. Occasionally someone will say like, I want to heal my bad knee. But you show up on that mat and you practice, I mean, one of the things my teacher said to me, to us at teacher training was, before you can even knock on the door of your spirit, you have to go through your body. And it's true. 
You know, we can't, some guy just wrote a, a, a best-selling novel that was about meditating for 30 seconds at a time. I mean, it was on the New York Times bestseller list. So obviously we can't sit still and we can't pay attention to ourselves. But when we're doing that through physical activity, we have this amazing ability to slowly train and attend our attention to ourselves. And that makes all of, puts all these other things into motion. Like we're talking about self-worth and standing up for yourself and paying attention to how it feels when you eat and does that feel good and making slow and small changes. And it happens on a, like a neurological level and a biochemical level. I mean, the practice of yoga increases your body's production of all your feel-good hormones. People who practice yoga have higher levels of GABA, which reduces anxiety, of serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin, the, the, the hormones that make you feel better. You learn how to control your breathing when you're really uncomfortable so that then when you're in traffic, you're not flipping people off. I mean, all of this is the sneaky yoga. You showed up to work out and it slowly become, helps you to become a different person. I mean, having taught on the seacoast for 15 years, I have watched students practice with me for 15 years and like transform as a person to pull themselves out of depression, to go from someone who had a tremendous amount of repressed anger to being someone that's able to be open, vulnerable, and very loving with people. So that's why in terms of like um, adding movement and physical fitness into your goals, that there's this whole other component that comes when you add a mindfulness practice like yoga, that you sneak in the meditation, you sneak in the self-care, and you slowly build up your, your sense of your, your honest ego, your true sense of who you are. And one of the things I love about hot yoga is that a lot of people approach it thinking, I can't do this, it's too hard for me, or I can't handle the heat. And the beautiful part about the yoga is you just keep showing up, and you continuously prove that internal voice wrong over and over and over again. And for people who've like never had success with fitness, like they didn't like exercise or they were always the last one picked in gym class, you work at your own pace and you start to develop this sense of like, I'm an athlete. I'm in control of my body. I'm strong. I'm flexible and I can do stuff that's hard. So it's a really sneaky way to start to create changes. And that's what trickles over into the rest of your life so that you end up making choices in terms of what you're eating like when your sister says like do you want another hot toddy you don't want to feel like garbage the next day because you're going to class so you decline it whereas in the past you might have been like trying to be sociable and said yes I feel like you're you're talking about my life story because that that was me. I was the chunky kid. I you know, I hated sports. I hated sports because I'm such a perfectionist and I put so much pressure on myself that I hate other people relying on me. It's one of the reasons that I love yoga so much is because it's just me. But also, you have the community. So you have like, you know, nobody's relying on you. Nobody's asking you to do anything. It's just you, but then you have that community to lean on. And sometimes, you know, we live in the Northeast and the winters are 400 years long and everybody starts to get cranky and depressed as we move into February and March. And sometimes all I need to do is just show up at the yoga studio and I just feel better just being surrounded by other people that are doing the same thing as me. And it's the best feeling ever. And as far as you start to make better decisions, I mean, I've said this on the, I've said this before. I don't know if I've ever said it on the show. I was practicing the style of yoga when I was actively bulimic. And it is one of the ways that in to talk about changing habits, I mean, binging and purging is, is, was my habit for many, many years. But I started practicing and noticed that like I would not be able to do the floor series if I had made myself throw up that day. 
And so I I wanted to be able to come to my mat. I wanted to do better by my body. I wanted to practice practice the style of yoga. So I stopped those behaviors that got in the way of my yoga practice. I mean, it was literally that transformative. So it absolutely absolutely works. It makes you feel better on so many different levels. And so I just can't say enough about that. Um, My friend reached out to me this week and she's like, I've been feeling so low energy. I've been feeling so moody. I haven't exercised. I haven't gone to yoga. I haven't done anything in a very long time. And so she went and she, she, you know, she practiced and she did her thing. And like, she called me later that day and she's like, I am on top of the world. I feel like I could tackle anything. I ate better today. I had so much more energy. I was so productive. I mean, it can change your day. It can turn it around just like that. And I think that is so incredible. A hundred percent in a snap. It's amazing. In a snap. Um, So we were talking a lot about self-worth and this, this is kind of what I'm, what I was thinking about. Um, Self-worth is a tricky one, and I think it's also something that we're all co- constantly working through. And I, I find that sometimes there has to be this like crisis or this catastrophe before we are able to turn inside and say, I'm worthy. And I mean, I, I if you listen to the show, you've heard me talk about this a million times before. It took me getting sick before I, I really made myself my own priority in my own life. And I think, you know, mentioned Joseph Campbell before thinking about the hero's journey. There, It always starts, the journey inward always starts with some type of call, some type of call to action. And sometimes we can start that journey on our own record, you know, saying like, I'm going to do this for myself. But oftentimes it's some type of crisis. It's some type of catastrophe. And I think, Sarah, you know, the work that you and I do or what we're trying to do anyway is is get people, grab people before they get to that moment of crisis. Like you don't have to be a total mess. You don't have to be falling apart at the seams before you embark on on a journey like this. You can do it any time. Absolutely. And you know, your crisis doesn't have to be like the end of the world or your marriage falling apart or your health in complete disarray. Your crisis that causes Sparks the Hero's journey for you just could be like a simple moment of awareness where you're like, huh, I don't like how I felt. Or what I notice for a lot of folks um, when they start practicing yoga in the second half of their life is they're like, remember the athlete they used to be. They remember how that used to feel when they felt good in their body and that's enough to want to like get started and make changes. So, you know, to have sort of that feeling like it has to be a huge massive crisis, it really your your bottom can be wherever you want it to be. I like that. That's that's such a good point. It doesn't have to be like the rock bottom that we all think of. Um, Some of us need to be smashed in the face with it and yeah. pummeled to the ground before we learn our lesson. So that may be you. I mean, I certainly know that was my lesson. And we were just, I had, it was at a teacher's meeting today. And we were saying like, you know, how many times do I need to learn the same lesson? And that's the way that life goes. It keeps coming in your face and coming in your face until you change, you know, to you yeah. make the difference. That's exactly right. So one um, of the things I just, since we're talking about building habits and, and taking steps and all that type of stuff. So one of the big things that people are always saying to me is, how do I get started? And so like to just sort of sum up everything that we've talked about is move towards people who are doing what you want to do and pick something that you're going to do that is some small way to make a change. 
and make sure that it's a goal that you can accomplish. Even if you build that goal, you know, every week you can amp up the volume on it for yourself, but start with something you can actually do. Instead of going from practicing no yoga, set yourself up. I'm going to take Saturdays at 9am. That's my time. I'm going to yoga. Yes. And go, go or Pilates. I'm just saying it's the most fun class ever. So fun. it's so fun. Bring a friend because it's it's. I think it's way more fun when you get to look at the person next to you and be like, "What is happening right now?" Um, all right, so we're coming up on an hour here. So Sarah, I appreciate you coming on the show. Before we close out, I just want to let everybody know that the next Commit to Ninety program does start February ninth and tenth. So we start on February 9th. That's a Saturday at Blaze Yoga and Pilates in Portsmouth. And then our sister studio, Steamhouse Yoga and Pilates in Epping starts on February 10th. So if this message resonates with you, if this, this episode resonated with you, you can totally jump in, get all of the support that you need for the next three months. And you are more than welcome to come to those meetings. So those those are the kickoff meetings, the 9th and the 10th of February. You're more than welcome to come and just learn a little bit more about the program, see who else is involved, talk to us, um, ask all of your questions and all that. Anything else you want to say, Sarah? Yeah, that's it. There's no cost to attend the kickoff meeting. So if you're sort of a little trepidatious and don't understand how it works, there's tons of resources online, both at Steamhouse NH and BlazeNH.com um, to find out about what the program is. But if you want to just show up and find out how it works and be around people, it's a really great moving experience. Um, if you're in that, if you're in the strike where the when the iron is hot phase and you're ready to rock and roll and make some changes and be around a bunch of other people who are in the process of doing the same thing. It's an awesome opportunity and a great group of people. I couldn't agree more. So thank you, Sarah, for being on the show. I'm going to link to all everything she just talked about down in the show notes. So check that out. And hopefully we see you guys in the hot room. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. 